science. Welcome to this week's edition of uh, Love and Science with me, Malcolm Love, and uh, well, we've got Andrew, we've got Hannah here, and uh, we've got another guest I'm going to introduce uh, to you in just a moment. And I'm going to begin the show with a confession, and the confession is this, that uh, every week when I get ready for Love and Science, I get all our music together, I put it on a stick, and I've got my computer, my laptop, which has got uh, all our stories on it and I put it in the car and I duly drive over uh, to the studio and uh, this week I got out of the car and I looked for my bag and I thought good grief what's happened it's not there but I've got some uh, uh, extremely kind uh, people coming over from my house uh, a little bit later so we're going to have some Christmas music I was so looking forward to this show because because I get to play the one show of the year when I get to play Christmas music and it's sitting on a stick in my bag I want to just say that everybody who's listening now do go to the BCFM Twitter feed because I've just posted a picture (laughs) of Malcolm (laughs) if if you go there you'll see what I mean when I say, are they elves that are bringing this Christmas music <laughs> out They are very good elves indeed. Yeah. Very, so Mark, very good elves. They're called, they're called George and John, and uh, they're very, very good elves indeed. And I'm very much looking forward to, uh, to seeing them. Uh, so uh, hopefully we're going to have uh, our Christmas music a little bit later on. Uh, but we've managed to get one or two other things uh, together. Uh, big help from Hannah, who's very technical bod uh, compared to me. And and uh, in fact, almost anybody <laughs> is compared to me, but uh, thank you it so wasn't, much. For... It wasn't that fancy. Oh, I don't say that. Don't say that. You know, I, I need to sal- salvage some dignity for okay, myself. Okay, sorry, it was very technical. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I must introduce uh, our uh, uh, new studio guest uh, for th- this week, uh, Juliana. Hi, Malcolm. Hi. How are you? I'm very well. I'm f- f- for a man of my condition, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm perfectly well. Thank you very much. And it's great to have you in, in the studio. Uh, in fact, we're going to find out a little bit uh, uh, about you. Let me, let me see if I get your name right. It's Juliana Cucaro Diaz. Yes. Thank you. Is that right? And I've, I've just got you slightly off microphone. That's, that's oh, great. You okay. can't come back, back onto the mic. And um, so uh, you grew up in Colombia. You're a, you are a, a, a Colombian, indeed. I'm sure you know that. I'm not telling you <laughs> who you are. But um, uh, w- you, you studied science. What, do, what did you do? Tell, t- tell, us, tell us what you did um, in, in, in college in Colombia. I did my undergraduate degree in uh, biology. And it was quite exciting, as you can imagine, because Colombia really has tons of biodiversity, just loads of it. It's everywhere and all sorts of environments as well. So just a whole range of creatures, yes. whole range of plant life. So we've got mountains, we've got two coasts and totally different environment along those. Yeah. Dry forests, wet forests, a bit of the Amazon a bit of uh, grass flatlands, deserts, so really just uh, cloud forests, mountain forests, just anything you can imagine. Now, I, I, I have to ask you, because um, I'm, um, 
I, I know that there will be people wondering about this, but uh, uh, and you must be sick of being asked this question. But but for many of us here in Europe. The, the name Colombia is slightly scary because we think if we go to Colombia, <gasps> it's drug barons, it's, you know, it's being hijacked, it's being kidnapped, it's all that sort of stuff. Now, clearly, uh, Colombia has been through some bad times. But what is life like now? Uh, life is good. It's, it's, we did have a, a long civil war. I'm not going to lie about that. But... But it's all right now. We signed a peace agreement with the largest guerrilla group, so that's going well. We had the UN come in. They gave up all their weapons, so that's good. And it's, it's been great for biology because biologists can now survey areas that they couldn't before. So that's really nice. So f- from, the, from the point of view of your science, it's, it's, it's opened up the world as well. Yeah, so it's that's opened the, up the world. Yeah, that's There's that. been a lot of new species discovered that were there but we couldn't have access to them before and and yeah it's Colombia is, is, is getting there <laughs> and and uh, so you've you've now come here to the UK uh, and uh, you're at the University of West of England for all of us have some sort of connection as it happens with the University of West of England um, what um, wh- why why have you come what are you doing? Uh, I came to study because I am a geek. No. <laughs> uh, I am, but also because the science communication program there is is great. Good. So I'm glad, uh, glad to hear you say that. <laughs> yes. You know, uh, well, unfortunately, so, so in Colombia, there are no science communication masters or training uh, or whatever's. So you're, you're, you're interested in explaining science communication to... Uh, sorry, you're interested in explaining science to the general public, yes. essentially. And now, does much of that happen in Colombia? Uh, Are scientists able to communicate with the general public about science, or is that something which isn't happening? Not really. There are initiatives, but it's always at a very small scale, very short period of time, and they are sort of invisible. They don't get a lot of media coverage or really... It's just like something you do for a grant uh, and then it yeah. goes away. Yeah. There are a few science centers and stuff. Yeah. But but it's it's really very, very low-key. I don't know. Yeah. It's just... Yeah. Yeah. What, what's what's your own interest? What do you what do you hope to do when you when you finish? So sorry. Actually, I should step back a bit to we can set this in context. So, what kinds of areas are you interested in in terms of communicating science? Because I know I know the degree at UWE since I'm involved with it does does a number of things. What what's your particular interest? Um, well, I came in with a very strong interest in. In writing, uh, I always loved the. Uh, I fucking love science. I don't know okay. if I'm allowed to say that. I think you're probably not, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just pretend that it didn't now, happen. So it happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I was. I really followed it all throughout uni, and I was really excited. But I don't know. I'm also taking your module, which is quite exciting as well. So. It, so, is, it is today. Although broadcast sounded very daunting and scary, it's also interesting, and I might pursue that. Well, 
Um, I wonder uh, whether or not you would be prepared to get involved with our show, Juliana. I wonder too. Yeah. (laughs) It would be interesting because if you're interested in broadcasting, then that's something that uh, uh, we would uh, would like very much to happen. Be careful though, that's what happened to me. (laughs) (laughs) And he's still still not. He's never allowed to leave. He's got away. And you're trapped. (laughs) I'm I'm absolutely trapped. Well, Juliana, it's so great to have you uh, here as our guest. We hope that you'll stay with the rest of the show and uh, we've got some science stories coming up and, uh, you know, you're very very welcome to contribute uh, your thoughts to that uh, in the meantime uh, i'm very pleased to say that my bag has arrived Yay. and a very big thanks to john and george for uh, uh, bringing that over you are listening to love and science on bcfm it's always a pleasure to uh, have your company uh, these monday afternoons and this is uh, our last uh, program before uh, christmas so it's going to be packed with festive and uh, we're starting off by eating mince pies. Yes. So I hope I hope you're enjoying our mince pies <laughs> <laughs> uh, as we as we go on. And uh, just in case you've uh, just joined us, uh, I am also uh, with uh, Andrew, Juliana, and Hannah. You're uh, also wearing a Father Christmas. And hat. I'm wearing my Father with Christmas your own name hat. on. I yes, really like of it. course. Yes. I, na- I have my name has to be sewn into all my clothes <laughs> <laughs> uh, in, in case I uh, in case I lose it. <laughs> Um, (laughs) Now, one of the fabulous uh, programmes, if you're interested at all in science or if you've just got a passing interest in uh, natural history, uh, that you cannot fail to have missed because it's been promoted everywhere and for very good reason, is Blue Blue Planet 2, the second uh, series of the uh, incredible program about uh, life below the oceans and uh, Andrew uh, was able to chat uh, on here was almost becoming our sister program which is uh, (laughs) to do with life in your shed yes Uh, life in the shed that's the next BBC big (laughs) life in the shed yes Um, and and uh, just uh, just set this up for us because you 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 were able to talk uh, to two people involved with it Uh, three in fact but but I um, so I, yes, my podcast, The Cosmic Shed, I gathered that in my shed at the bottom of my garden with three of the people involved in the Blue Planet 2 series. That's John Chambers, the uh, assistant producer, uh, Sophie Morgan, a researcher, and Alex Vale, who's a, well, a cameraman on the show, responsible for some of the, the three of them responsible for some of the most iconic scenes in the series. And uh, this is a part of the conversation which starts with me talking to them about how they got into making this sort of thing. Uh, Alex, you were, uh, Alex, you were a scientist originally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and um, <clears throat> Sophie, you study sci- did you do science before this as well? Um, I studied zoology at Bristol, okay. funny enough. Oh, OK, yeah. cool. John? Um, I did a film degree, which okay. I guess is the other half. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I'd also done a lot of... I took up diving when I was 16, and I'd, I kind of got in that way, in that I um, I'd spent a lot of time in the water, um, had a film degree, so I kind of combined those two sides. But obviously, was obsessed with sharks as a child and, and loved marine biology, but one of the few people that doesn't have a zoology degree. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 2001, Blue Planet to me was the most mind-blowing piece of television ever because I'm not a diver it it took me to places that I'm never going to go and and I think the same thing with Frozen Planet actually it it took me to a part of the of the universe part of the world that I could never get to and and that's what makes it particularly special 
is, it, was this was that series important to you? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. massively. Yeah, I I remember watching it. It was actually. I think I'd just started university and um, I'd just started diving in Northern Ireland the year before. So I'd been diving for a year and then all of a sudden this um, amazing yeah. underwater series just comes on and I loved everything about it from the music to the images to the story. It was just, you know, it was a real revelation to I think a lot of people that saw it and having just started diving a year earlier, I just wanted to go and see all of those things. So you know, in the last 12 years since I've been in Bristol, everyone thought, oh, wouldn't it be great if another series like Blue Planet happened? <laughs> never did we believe there would be another Blue Planet, yeah. and never did I believe I'd actually be working on it. Yeah. So, the one thing that's come up quite a bit is because um, people get upset about it the plastic and the, mm. the, the ecological arguments and things. Well, I, I think we've got. You know, I think we want to make a great film. We want to entertain people, and we want people to love the ocean. And this region doesn't just talk about plastics; it talks about kind of all you know issues the ocean is going through. Um, I think we do we do want to entertain people, but we sort of have a moral obligation to you know talk about changes in the ocean. So I think we're all very passionate about the plastics story. I mean, it's something that is more than evident whenever we go on location. You know, I was on an incredibly um, remote atoll filming, filming the um, bird-eating fish for episode one. No one lives on it. And yet it was covered in plastic, you know, flip-flops, even refrigerators that had washed up onto this this beach. And, you know, that's really just the, the part of the problem that you can see, you know, and then you look at microplastics, which yeah. you can't see but are causing massive, massive problems up the food chain. And it's just, you can't talk about the great things in the ocean without talking about them problems it's facing yeah. but with plastic you just can't ignore it because unfortunately it's it's absolutely everywhere now so it's it's not even an editorial or you know a, a decision about do we want to show this there's so much plastic in the oceans now you can't avoid it um so you you know you have to you have to show it does it does it change the way making this series has it changed the way that you live your lives or did you already know it because you're in the seas already mm. I, I, I think, you know, personally, yeah, like, having been, you know, around the sea for a long time, I've always, you know, cared a lot about fish and, and things like that. So, I, like, you know, I think it I think it hammers at home, for sure, when, you, when you're seeing these things more and more and, you know, we're talking about them in the series. But, yeah, I, I think that, you know, having had the privilege to, to grow up around the ocean, you know, it's, it's probably not just, just this that's changed my opinion, but I, yeah... I try not to eat fish too much because I really like them. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so uh, that was uh, Andrew uh, talking to people involved with the Blue Planet. And um, it's quite a disturbing uh, story. You know, everywhere you go, there's plastic. They find uh, plastic, uh, just general plastic rubbish, as they were saying there, lying around everywhere. You go to Antarctica, it's there. You go up to Greenland, it's there. In the middle of the Pacific, it's there. But it's not just that. It's the microplastics, isn't yeah. it? Micro, as, 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 yeah. as they were saying in, in, in your piece, uh, that most fish probably 
have microplastics in, inside them. Yeah, it's astonishing, isn't it? There's a, there, I don't know if you've seen, but there's a, an announcement that's come. It's not really an announcement, but Michael Gove has been thinking, and uh, that's something that people talk about when it happens. But I'm just telling you what it says. All right, carry on. Um, so the, it's, it says, this is a BBC uh, News article, it says the Environment Secretary, uh, Mr Gove, um, which is in itself entertaining, the Environment Secretary, Mr Gove, outlined his thoughts on plastics during an informal meeting. So it's not sort of a grand uh, announcement, it's mm. just some thoughts he's had in an informal meeting. Um, he, he says he wants to cut the total amount of plastic in circulation. Good thing. Yep. He wants to reduce the number of different plastics in use, because that will help recycling firms. Good, yep. yep. Uh, improve the rate of recycling, which has been slipping recently. Mm-hmm and make it easier for individuals to know what goes into the recycling bin and what goes into general rubbish. Yeah, yeah. Right. all sounds very good. That's all sounds very good. Uh, if it was me and mm-hmm. I was having some thoughts, the way that Michael Gove has been having some thoughts, yeah. um, I would add to ban plastic that isn't recyclable altogether. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure why that isn't there. Is it... Yeah, I don't know why that so you're why, why that isn't the case already, but is it something to do with the consistency of the plastic? Uh, recyclable ones tend to be softer, um, and for whatever reason you need tougher plastic to transport other things that then can't be recycled. So your plan is what, Andrea? Well, sure. What I'd like to yeah, see is I'd like to see the, the, the people like Michael Gove, the mm. environmental people yeah. in government... I just said Them that. Yeah. That's what I just said. I yeah, didn't yeah. actually say that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it, 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 that. They would be making steps to make sure that in a reasonable timeline, yeah. all not recyclable plastic was simply banned. Yeah. You couldn't make or use plastic anymore yeah, that, that wasn't yeah. recycled. Yes, it makes good exactly. sense because uh, the environment and therefore and then us are, make, uh, are paying a huge price yeah, mm-hmm. uh, for using for using that plastic. In, in the interest of balance, we always have to be balanced. Um, environmentalists, it says here, environmentalists fear Mr. Gove will be reluctant to set tighter rules for firms which benefit from the current use of plastics. So environmentalists seem to be suggesting that maybe Michael Gove might not be so tight on those large organisations which will not want to move to. Yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, I think everybody around this uh, desk would have uh, uh, a lot of sympathy with that. But, of course, politicians would say it's got to be about the art of the possible. <coughs> you've, you've, got, you've got to do things that can be done rather than just that you would like to do. Yeah. And, uh, therefore, they've got to work with industry. So it's, it's, um, it's a difficult call. I found myself, strangely, I'm not one of the biggest fans of Michael Gove. Oh. It wouldn't be fair to use this as a platform to attack him. But I have to say that um, uh, I was uh, I, have to, I sent signed a letter of thank you uh, to him just last week oh. uh, because he's taken on a, a, a bill uh, to shore up um, uh, respect for animal rights after we leave the EU. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you mm-hmm. see this. So there's uh, a, there's a, the, the, that, yeah, yeah, there's a re- recognition that if we're not careful, the EU has such very high standards for animal welfare, uh, recognising that animals are sentient creatures, they have feelings, uh, they feel fear, and so on, and that uh, in order to respect uh, animals as sentient beings, you know, we need to shore up our laws after we leave the EU, and Gove has taken that on. So hats off to him. Yes. And I say that very, very rarely in my life. Yes, yes. Credit where it's due, Michael. <laughs> um, wow. Michael Gove recognises that animals 
are animals too. Yes. yes. Well done, Michael. Well oh, done. yes, he does. <laughs> yeah, well, credit where credit's due. You're listening to Love and Science on BCFM Radio. Indeed you are, and it's a pleasure to have your company. Um, one of the stories uh, at the moment, or as we like to look at science in the news and behind the news, is uh, NASA finds first alien solar system with as many planets as our own. And, of course, this is the... Um, continuing quest uh, to find, using our uh, new technology, relatively new technology of being able to detect planets not just stars, but planets outside of our own solar system, planets going around uh, the stars uh, uh, that uh, may be uh, many light years uh, away from us and um, so uh, this story says that uh, they've uh, NASA, um, I'm getting myself confused here, (laughs) scientists on NASA's Kepler mission have spotted an eighth planet around a distant star, making it the first alien solar system known to host as many planets as our own. Uh, there's nothing magic about the number eight, though, is there, Andrew? No, don't think so. I think there's... I mean, could be ten. It could be... I mean, it's part of me that wonders whether this system, uh, our system, and this other system might actually have more planets than we know. Yeah, so ju- just while you're on that, mm. there's the, of course, the story is we've, we uh, uh, grew most, all of us here actually grew up uh, being told there were nine planets in our solar system so it started yeah. with Mercury being closest to the Sun uh, we're number three uh, and then at the far end was Pluto then poor old Pluto got kicked off the list of planets because it's too small yeah. uh, to be a planet I don't know what it is what is it's it? a Plutoid or a dwarf planet a Plutoid yeah I think a Plutoid is you that's know, fantastic it's pretty good isn't yeah, it yeah it's pretty good <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice substitute they've named a being a thing after it, yeah. so at least he's got that. Yes, <laughs> I don't think um, we shouldn't feel sorry for Pluto. We shouldn't feel sorry. Pluto still is amazing, <laughs> and <laughs> turned out to be a very beautiful planet. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. But there is possibly Planet Nine. Now, don't don't get confused with. So this is another planet, but yeah. we can't. That we is not Pluto. That is not Pluto, Pluto no. okay. and we can't see it. Yeah, and you don't get confused with nonsense stories about Planet X and Nibiru and all that nonsense. Not yeah. true. Simply yeah, not yeah. true. Forget yeah. that. But there is, um, <laughs> there is Planet Nine is. A, a theoretical planet, which if we look at the data of our solar system, um, the planet, the orbit of the planets and the moons and some of the asteroids and things suggests that there's something else way out beyond Pluto, um. which about the size of a planet on a strange orbit, which... Uh, would be Planet Nine, and we haven't seen it. We keep looking for it. We haven't seen it. It doesn't mean necessarily that there is something there. It could be that there's lots of different things which add together. But one of the p- potential reasons for these orbits to behave in the way that they do is that there is another planet that we haven't seen somewhere outside our mm. outside what we think of as a, the nine, yeah. the eight planets, and Pluto. So Planet Nine, no so connection with Cloud Nine. No, no connection. <laughs> although could well be very nice as well. Uh, but this, we should go back to. The oh, yeah. We should. So, was... so the story is uh, <laughs> that this uh, newfound world orbits a star called Kepler ninety. Yes. Uh, we're finding so many of these things. We, it's impossible to. It becomes meaningless to give them proper names. They tend to just have numbers. Uh, it's larger than hotter than our sun. Uh, it's two thousand five hundred light years away 
from the Earth in the constellation of Draco. Just to put that in context, that simply means it takes 2,500 years for the light to get to us. That's how far away it is. Or indeed a spaceship travelling at light speed. Oh, indeed. <laughs> uh, and uh, so this freshly discovered world, uh, which is known as 90i, uh, is the smallest of the eight now known to circle the star. Well, I, can I just say, um, that just to finish my thought, which was that I, the, all of these planets are within the orbit. If they were orbiting our sun, they are closer to their sun than Earth is to ours, if you see what I mean. So they are clo- every one of these eight planets is closer to their sun than Earth is to our sun. In this new yeah. one. Oh. Yeah. And, and their sun is hotter. Yeah. So they're all so going to be pretty There's really pretty, not going to be very much warm. There. But, uh, or a lot knife as we know it, anyway, Hannah. Okay, yeah, and sorry. <laughs> 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 um, I, but it's, it, it, I think that if our solar system has potentially got planets outside of the ones that we know, then p- quite possibly this yeah. one doesn't. And the really interesting thing about this planet is that it was found by an artificial intelligence. I know what you're thinking. No, it wasn't. But it was. It really was. So they, they, this planet was lurking in the data. We already knew about seven of the planets. And we'd looked at, not we, you know, scientists had looked at... Um, <laughs> not us particularly <laughs> in this room, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'd looked at the, at the data from the Kepler Space Telescope and found these uh, seven planets. And then they've taught a computer to teach itself, so it's a self-learning computer teaches yeah. itself, to um, analyse the data and look for uh, bumps in the data which would suggest planets. And mm. that... That artificial intelligence, that computer, has found this extra planet in the Kepler data. And that's particularly exciting because it's the first one that's been found by an artificial intelligence, and it means that you can go through, back through all of the Kepler data and, and find ah. many more planets. Oh. That's Quite amazing, isn't it? Yeah, brilliant. Nice. Yeah. That's impressive. So while we're on holiday over, yeah, yeah, over Christmas, it can, because it won't need a Christmas break. Yeah. You've got, to, you've got to feel for those astronomers who are planet hunters, though. They're out of a job now, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> they really are. Who'd have thought it? You think <laughs> robot, robots, robots taking over the world. Robots. Yeah, astronomers, it's quite an watch idea, out. It's isn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it really is. Do you know, there's, a, there's another story, which um, I, won't, I won't bore you with now, but yeah. if you're at all interested in Star Wars and exoplanets, there's a lovely thing on the NASA, um, NASA website which is about um, eight exoplanets which make you think that Star Wars is real. And it looks at uh, exoplanets that we know about. Mm. Uh, for example, Kepler 452b, which is very similar to Coruscant in, uh, in the Star Wars universe. But it goes through, like, there's Bespin and there's Hoth and planets that we know. You just go to the NASA website and uh, have a look for star- eight planets in Star Wars. We'll post a link to it as well on, nice. on Twitter mm. and things. So. I particularly like these parts of the show because we're just like, uh, there's been an article about uh, space, and Andrew, you like space. <laughs> <laughs> talk, talk to us about that for a while, and we all sit here silent like, it, yeah, it really space. is. <laughs> while you have a little chat. It's just <laughs> like, like pressing it. a button, isn't it? Yeah. You press the Andrew button and it happens. Yeah, yeah it's great. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's, why, that's why he's here. Oh. Uh, but we will, we'll, we'll just switch subject for a moment, because we're going we're to come back to Star Wars in a very particular way hey, uh, short, shortly. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I want to go, this is a sad story, actually, but I do want, I do want to talk about it because it's uh, quite an important one. Um, a, a lot of us had our heartstrings uh, pulled, I mean, quite reasonably so, because there's a sad uh, image of uh, an emaciated poem 
polar bear uh, searching for food on Baffin Island, which is uh, part of uh, Canadian territory up in the northeast of uh, Canada, and uh, the ice has gone and so on. And the, the whole thing was captioned uh, that this uh, bear is starving because of climate change. Now, I don't know if anybody caught this story, yeah. um, but it is actually quite important for people who think that science is important because, um, first of all, nobody argues with the fact that we need to look after our polar bears, we need to look after the environment, all that sort of thing as, uh, 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 as best we, we can and that global warming is a very, very serious thing. No one's saying otherwise. Um, but it looks like... Uh, that um, this had more to do with a public relations stunt than it did reporting the science. Anybody want to pick up on that? Well, yeah, they, there is a possibility that the bear was sick or injured. Yeah. And that's the reason why it couldn't find food and starved. Uh, and I guess, mm -hmm. of course, just like people... Bears get old and sick, they get diseases, and they're not able to yeah. fend for yeah. themselves. And occasionally a camera crew will film such a bear. Yeah, uh, particul yes. Particularly as well, is that in the video, in the footage, you can see the bear is uh, dragging one of its legs. So yeah. it's, it looks like it's potentially injured one of its legs even, that, that might be why it can't hunt. Because it's really common for bears to go months without a big meal. Uh, they do so in the summer when the ice that they use to uh, hunt off, so they use it as a platform for hunting. Once that's not there in the summer, they they're, um, they go into a kind of almost like a fast until the winter rolls around again and they can go hunting off the sea ice. Yeah. Um, again, like Juliana said, they could just be ill. They, yeah. they do get ill. The, the, the reason why I think this matters, and I don't know yeah. if you agree with me, is, this, is, is that precisely because we should care about the environment, we should mm -hmm. care about the world's creatures and everything, we need to be very careful what, um, how we represent yeah. Uh, the information, yes. because there are people out there who say, ah, you know, scientists make all this stuff up about the environment and yeah. they lie to us about this and that and the other. Um, and um, uh, so it's really important that we don't let public relations stunts uh, overtake yeah, cause the, it's an the, incredibly the facts, powerful because then image. people won't believe us. Yeah, and yes. you don't want to have uh, stories going out that are just... Uh, you know, a heartbreaking image linked to a story that it's not, sorry, uh, linked to something that it's not necessarily yeah. about. So, yes, there are polar bears that are starving, and yes, we can um, often link that to reducing sea ice, but we don't know if that is the case with this bear. And it's almost being used as a tool to kind of emotionally manipulate people um, into feeling worse about it. It's like those kind of adverts that you see that are like sad puppies that just make you feel really... They make you feel guilty. And that is that is the point of the um, company set up by the, the photographers, Sea uh, Legacy, is that they want to use narratives to Im like implicate change in people. Yeah. But you need to be careful that you're not doing so in... Uh, using false information yeah because that's not fair yeah absolutely okay well look let's uh, let's uh, have a little bit uh, oh, no in fact before i was going to play some music but in fact what i want to do is go to um a story which is going to make andrew very happy in fact he prepared he, he it's down to andrew to uh, 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 the fact that we have this story you interviewed a wookie didn't you i did 
The Wookiee. The Wookiee. The, the actual Wookiee. Yeah. And uh, we just just a little bit of backstory because he, in fact, there there are two Wookiees really. Although he he might be the Wookiee. There was a chap who did this before him, mm. or rather does it at the same time. Yes. They both appear. Can you just tell us about that a little bit? Uh, yes. So, so who, who are we talking about here? We're talking about uh, Jonas Suatomo. So, I don't okay. know how to pronounce his yeah, name. Yeah, He's yeah. A, a Finnish basketball player who's uh, been headhunted to become the new Chewbacca because uh, the original Chewbacca, whose name has just gone out of my head, but anyone who knows anything will remember what it is. Well, I'm trying to remember what it is. Okay. Um, uh, and it's just gone out of my head, but he has uh, has advanced height as well as advanced age and uh, is not as mobile. And anybody that's seen any of the recent uh, Star Wars films will know that Chewie, as we affectionately know him, is, yeah. uh, is quite a mobile uh, chap and okay. uh, needs to do a lot of running around. So um, Jonas yeah. is in... Uh, the Force Awakens, yes. The Last Jedi, which is out of cinemas now. Stop what you're doing after you've heard this show and <laughs> go and see it. It's wonderful. And uh, he's also in the forthcoming uh, movie about the early years of Han Solo. And uh, I had a chat with him. And uh, here it is. How do you go from playing basketball in Finland to getting a role in one of the biggest sci-fi franchises of all time? You tell me, because... Uh, they called me, you know. They called was, you, they, uh, they, they headhunted you, or they, heighthunted you. They, they called the Basketball Association of Finland. Okay. And one of the guys remembered me from my uh, youth national team basketball days, and uh, information was delivered, and they called me, you know. Wow. And what, what's your response? Chewbacca, yeah, I'll do that. First I said, I don't have the time, sorry. Basketball is very important, and I've but, never heard of these Star Wars films. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no. All I knew was it was a big budget Hollywood film. Okay. And uh, I sent in my fo- uh, headshots, and uh, and then then I shot a tape in my old high school gym uh, of me, you, what, me playing a caveman. And oh right, so you didn't know it was for Chewy, so you just no, had to do some no. grunts and exactly. Wow. Uh, yeah, I was like <laughs> doing stuff like that, but then then yeah. So when eventually. did you find out then? What was your reaction? Well, I found out because uh, because I, they sent me the uh, non-disclosure agreement. Okay. And that had a name of a company that had already leaked to to, to the internet. Was it Lucasfilm? It was, uh, <laughs> it was uh, Foodles. Foodles, okay. Foodles. I was like, Foodles, this sounds weird. <laughs> oh, it's Star Wars. <laughs> I read it online, so I was okay. pretty excited about it. So you, you first started as Chewie in The Force Awakens, but it was kind of a torch passing scene because Peter so, Mayhew was still Chewie for scenes where he was sat down in the Millennium Falcon and you did all the more active running roles. Is that true? Yeah, that's the gist of it, yeah. yeah. So what was that like? Was he very gracious in passing the torch? Yeah, he's, he's, he was good. He was really good about it. I don't know how I would do if someone younger than me would come and take, you know, take a part... In, uh, in a role I was playing, so he was really good about it. How did Harrison Ford feel about it? Because I guess Peter Mayhew's always been his Chewie, and here you are. Or was he just kind of like Chewie's Chewie? Um, well, after he after he managed to wipe away his tears, uh, <laughs> he was all right with. No, I, I think Harrison was there, you know, enjoying being Han Solo, and you know, doesn't matter which uh, it doesn't matter <laughs> who was playing, it, whether it was Peter or me, you know, it okay. was. Uh, 
Harrison was a, is a professional. Okay. <laughs> and you've just done shooting the Han Solo film. Right. And was that during or after The Last Jedi? Uh, that was after. And you went straight into it? Uh, a couple months off. Okay. And then we started shooting uh, early this year. So obviously you can't tell us much about what happens in the Solo film, but I imagine we would see the beginning of the solo Chewy friendship? Yeah, that, that's the whole premise of the film. Oh, okay. It's, uh, you, yeah. will, you will definitely see that. Okay. I mean, God knows how they're going to tell the story, because I think in, in the books, Han's, uh, or in the expanded universe, Han's an Imperial officer that saves Chewie, who's, uh, being, who's a, a slave in a labor camp or something. Is that what they're doing in this film, or could you not possibly say? I hope you enjoy the movie, and it's going to be great. It's a very and, uh, safe. Uh, <laughs> uh, I like it. Everyone was great. <laughs> and as for The Last Jedi, I mean, Chewie is everyone's favorite, and we saw that the royal princes visited the set and wanted to hug you. Everyone seems to want to hug Chewie. What was that like when the, the princes came to the set? And also got cameos, apparently. When I saw the princes coming... The, to, to the to the to the to the soundstage. It was me who initiated. I, I ran into them, <laughs> and apparently I broke a major 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 royal protocol. Really? By hugging them. So well, I, mean, I, I felt bad about it. it no, yeah, and that's my thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, I get to do what. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it was something that Harrison told me when I said on one day on set uh, to JJ that I can pretty much do whatever I want. Uh, not didn't say that it was because of the Wookiee suit, but I, I meant that. Yeah. And Harrison turns to me and said, Hey, are you talking about my contract? <laughs> <laughs> have you seen The Last Jedi? No, I haven't seen it, no. And, okay, you've not seen the Han Solo movie? I haven't seen anything. Okay. But from working on them both, which are you most looking forward to people seeing? <laughs> well, it's because it's coming out in a, in a week or two, uh, I'm looking forward to The Last Jedi, but equally much the solo film. I think it's going to be like Rogue One because it's a standalone film. Yeah. Uh, it has a, the potential to break barriers and be a really bold film uh, without all the, the baggage that, that comes with these saga films. And do you do all, all your own chewy roars? I do, I do. I do those on set, but obviously. I've been told that some of them might have made into into these films, uh, but uh, I don't know. I, they might be the quiet stuff like that, which are hard to, you know, uh, hard to point out. But yeah. I, I I live in faith that there are some uh, some some bits of my own voice uh, in Force Awakens, for example. And that. I think, was uh, Wookiee. Uh, we, we titled that Wookiee because we, we were talking to a Wookiee. Uh, uh, that was Andrew's um, interview. And you were with somebody else there. I was with uh, Tymon Singh. Uh, Tymon Singh uh, was joining me to talk to Jonas Soatemo. And, uh, yeah, you can hear the rest of that at the thecosmicshed.com. I would just say, before we play a little bit of music, that uh, with that moment when he did the chewing noise, when he did that noise, yeah. I honestly felt like Chewbacca appeared in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to give him a massive hug, unfortunately. <laughs> if you go to thecosmicshed.com, you'll see that he did give me a massive hug just Aww. after. Oh, very nice. <laughs> a dream come well, true. That was a nice bit of fun. Thanks for that. Um, uh, so, cool. 
just before we've we've uh, uh, got John Ford uh, coming in to uh, tell us what we didn't include in the show, uh, but before John does that, we've got a couple of uh, uh, stories we wanted to quickly look at. Um, poor old dinosaurs, so they get evaporated by uh, an asteroid that hits the Earth 65 million years ago. Uh, they've got volcanoes. They've got all kinds of dreadful things going on. Each it other, turn each that. other, of course, which is not the uh, least of their problems. And it turns out, uh, Juliana, that they've got some blood-sucking creature. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, indeed they do. <laughs> a, a, a tick. A, it's a, a blood-sucking tick, no, uh, which uh, has kind of been nicknamed Dracula. Did you yeah. see this story? I did see it. I think it's quite interesting, especially because it has to do with feathered dinosaurs. And there's yeah. a little bit of debate as to how they regulated temperature. Yeah. Because with the feathers, a lot of things in their physiology change, so they were probably more warm-blooded. Yes. <laughs> so obviously that opens them up to ticks. I think feathers right. would be quite a nice home for a tick. <laughs> oh, of course. Right. And these would be giant yeah. ticks. These would be large, They're large ticks. Half a centimetre long, so not, not as big as yeah. I was expecting. Oh, no, that doesn't qualify as no. giant. I, I've I had bigger things than that. <laughs> <laughs> grab, grab hold of me. Okay. Oh, uh, <laughs> nice. I wonder how. Yeah. 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 So um, uh, uh, apparently half a centimetre long ticks preserved in amber. Uh, so this is, this, uh, this is straight out of Jurassic Park, isn't it? It's <laughs> yeah. real, real, yeah. real Jurassic Park. Found clinging to dinosaur feathers, uh, nice. while others were found with the remains of beetles that are, th- that are thought to have inf- infested the nests where dinosaurs laid their eggs. So it wasn't all fun being a dinosaur. No, it wasn't, was it? No. I, I don't know if you've seen the... At least the modern-day ones can fly, so that's quite fun. Exactly. <laughs> yes. They learned flight. I, I don't know if you've seen the CBeebies documentary, um, Andy's Wild um, Dinosaur Adventures, where he goes back in time. No. To, yeah, it's a documentary. Dinosaur Adventures. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, it's amazing. It looks like quite a lot of fun there, but it turns out it wasn't as much fun as it looks on not, the, No, not like no. in cartoons. No. It's uh-huh. not a cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. And just but to be fair, I think Jurassic Park would be way better if they put some feather dinosaurs around yeah exactly be yeah. a bit fluffy yeah. be cute yeah. Yeah. absolutely but it just doesn't fit our image of the dinosaur does it yeah they have to look cold yeah yeah they have to look yeah. like big lizards basically i'm just going to quietly deal with the so- fact that somebody just said we could make jurassic park better <laughs> <laughs> yes you have to process that well john john ford's joined us now so so uh, hi john hello uh, well, don't forget to stay tuned to the show after the uh, tuned to the station after the news because John will be getting Bristol home. Now I know you love to tell us what we didn't get right. What yeah, didn't we get I, right? This, I, what do we leave out? Well, lots of stuff. Uh, this is <laughs> this is for Andrew, but I don't know if I'm going to get all this in, but I'll give it a go and I'll speak very fast. This day in 1926, uh, a letter published in the Nature magazine by G.N. Lewis uh, coined a particular word when he suggested that it would, and I quote, seem inappropriate to speak to one of these hypothetical. In entities as a particle of light, a corpuscle of light, or 
a light quantum, or light quant, if we are to assume that it spends only a minute or fraction of its existence as a carrier of radiant energy, whilst the rest of the time it remains as an important structural element within the atom. It would also cause confusion to call it merely a quantum, for later it will be necessary to distinguish between the number of these entities present in the atom, or so-called quantum number. I therefore propose for this, which is not light, but plays an essential part of every process of radiation, the name, and born on this day, Andrew, Photon. Oh, oh nice. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, you need some sort of award for that. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. really amazing. Uh, well, that, that's... I've only practised it about 16 times. <laughs> <laughs> that's it for us. Stay tuned for John after the news. Uh, uh, from Hannah, uh, uh, Juliana, uh, Andrew and me, have yourselves a fantastic Christmas and join us in January uh, for more Love and Science.